just back from the 53rd edition of the greatest spectacle in all of sport fishing. You want the behind the scenes from the Bassmaster Classic? Look no further, because once again, Jake's take is back. Bassmaster videographer Jake Latondres joins me this week on... I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome on, welcome all friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. If you're listening to this, then yes, you're right. It is Wednesday. Every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, we post these shows. And uh, happy Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. I want to thank all our humpers that tune in week after week to this particular program. We talk a lot to a lot of different anglers throughout the year, but these are some of my favorite segments, and that is the Jake's Take segments, where I get to um, talk to cameraman extraordinaire, outdoor extremist extraordinaire, Jake Latondres, about the goings-on behind the scenes at Bassmaster events, and no bigger events than the Bassmaster Classic so let's not go any further. Let's jump right into this. We'll travel all the way to Colorado to hook up with videographer extreme Jake Latondres with this week's Bassmaster Classic Edition, Jake's Take. The greatest spectacle in all of sport fishing is over. And now we have Jake's Take. Jake Latondres back on the show here again with the greatest Jake's Take of the year, which is, of course, the annual Bassmaster Classic Jake's Take. Dude, what about that classic? The crowd. Incredible. That was insane. It that first morning, I mean, dude, and, and I'm a weirdo. I swear to you, I've said this a bunch of times on this show. I go down there every time in the first morning expecting nobody. This is this is the year nobody will show up. And man, mm-hmm. like there's people through the streets of Nashville, you just see all these people are not not Knoxville. Knoxville. You see all these people like walking through alleys and stuff i mean i picked up an australian dude on the way to take off literally i'm driving down the road this was practice we do practice takeoff for the bassmaster class we're talking about practice and we do that but um i was driving down there it's pitch black i have my windows down because it's beautiful and i'm from canada and finally there's some good weather so i've got my windows down i'm way to take off and i hear this australian dude going and there goes dave mercer and i'm like what what <laughs> It was a dude blogging. Uh, Paul's his name. So I said, hey, you you want to drive to the ramp? And he got in and they didn't listen to any of those warnings they told him about traveling to North America, <laughs> um, but gave him a ride down. But dude, that was on practice day where literally it was us, the anglers and like 50 Aussies. But dude, the first day, 6,500 people at takeoff, the biggest takeoff crowd we've ever had. And um, it was freaking awesome. We were riding out, you know, as you're announcing the anglers and the boats are trickling out into their, into the start at takeoff and Brandon Lester, you know, he's kind of a homeboy there. I mean, he's a Tennessee fan. I'm a Tennessee fan. We're, we're cruising past the grandstand. I mean, people that haven't been to Knoxville and Calhoun's and the boat dock there, there's actually a grandstand under the, the, the bathroom facility there that holds quite a few people and it you you feel like 
Like it's like behind home plate at a yeah. at a major league baseball game, and we're driving out, and drones are going everywhere, and and the crowd's cheering, and you you announce Brandon Lester's name, and dude, he almost started crying. He was like, like this is day one, and we're driving past all these people, and before before we got to the bridge where he could take off, he goes, dude, this is just unbelievable. I can't believe we're doing this, and that's like sets the pace, right? Yeah. I mean, and that was one of the questions I had for you because I've always seen that crowd from the shore, like from the crowd side, but to really see that crowd and to see how far spread out they are, you guys have the, the right view. You know what I mean? When the anglers take off, what does it feel like? Like, I mean, to me, it's, it's always loud because I'm right in the middle of it, but for you guys, does that same feeling transcend onto the water or is it more? I think I don't know, but I mean, I go up to the crowd. I go to the, I go to the restroom sometimes, you know, when we, we go to the dock, you have to walk through the crowd to get to the restroom, right? Cause you can't go to the end of the dock to pee because there's someone in every little crack and crevice behind oh, yeah. all the tree. Like you can't, there is absolutely zero like private space, even when you're on the water and it's dark. Right. And so I walk up there and it's loud. It's super crowded and, and it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's this amazing feeling, but I'm telling you when you, when you go out, I'm not an angler, so it's not about me, but being with the angler and experiencing that, that emotional, uh, jolt of yeah. them going out. It's a, it's like, and, and I, you know, Brandon Lester and I talked about on, on the water at this classic on day one, how that makes him feel like a superstar. Like it makes you feel like you're truly a professional athlete in the same world as the NFL or major league baseball or NHL or whatever. Um, so yeah, my answer to you is it is, it's a, it's a spectacle from down there because people are everywhere. Yeah, it's it's wild. And that setup with all the different levels, it's just it's perfect. I mean, and and I mean, there's a lot of that stuff people didn't even see, like come the last day. I mean, the amount of people that were up on the big bridges that you guys go under. Right. Um, you know, a lot of Canadian flags. It it was it was a really special, regardless of who you were cheering for. You know what I mean? Did Obviously, Gussie Wynnum was exciting for all of us Canadians and a lot of people around the world, <laughs> a lot but... of people, a lot of good people that just love Gussie. Yeah. Yeah. He, that's uh... what, to me, that's what this is about. You know, it's about who he is, but I wanted to say too, before we get off on that, that as you're going downstream, like there's, there are people at other boat ramps, honking horns with megaphones that are carrying big signs, go Brandon Lester or, wow. or whoever that's like it, it's all the way down the river. People are flashing their lights and their vehicles and their driveways and houses. I mean, it's not just, it's not just, uh, that takeoff. It's all the way down the river, man. It's, it's pretty cool. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah I never even thought about that. People waiting at other spots as they move along and, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's an amazing event and I can't thank the spectators enough. For coming out to it i mean literally it it i mean record crowd i think it was up what one hundred and sixty three thousand people yep. in total at all the venues um so let's just kind of break it down in sequence as it went so before we even got to that takeoff i mean one of the coolest things about the bassmaster classic if you haven't seen it you need to check it out 
Um, I know Bass had videos up of it. I know there was a lot of still pictures. The drone show that uh, Minkota Humminbird put on, Johnson Outdoors, unbelievable. I mean, the night before the Classic, what a way to kick off the Classic. Like, seriously, to have logos, brand logos in the sky with drones, and they look like fireworks going on during the yeah. fireworks display. It's like, holy Toledo. How did, you know, I mean... I know they do uh, uh, drone dancing and and sinking and all that stuff. And to put all that, to choreograph all that together is unbelievable. I don't know how much they had to spend on that, but that was pretty freaking cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, it, it, you know, I'll be honest. When you hear a drone show, you're like, oh, that'll be kind of cool. But it was one of those things that everybody, whether you, you were there for it, you caught part of it. I mean, it was one of those things that people started texting saying, look in the sky, see what's going on. Because it was... It was that it didn't cool. even look real. No, it didn't. It didn't. It um, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. The other thing that happened before the event even started was um, the Night of Champions. And um, I thought Paul Nick's speech was really cool because he made it all about the room, you know, all about, about the people that are that are there. That's what drives him. Those people. Dude, that's that's, that's Paul Nick, that, right? Yeah, but but I mean, it's funny because he started off a speech with, you know, what do you say the second time? You know what I mean? He's kind of already told his life story and everything. But what he told was the reason why he's there for Sunday weigh-ins. The reason he tries to make, literally, he's missed two of them since he's been back in the Elite Series. And it's 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 a good reason. Um, but it's as much about him as it is about the anglers. You know what I mean? He wants to graduate the anglers, but that it's that moment that motivates him. He said like this week, somebody's going to win and they're going to have that moment. And if it's not me, that moment's still going to affect me. It's still going to motivate me. It's still going to want to put me right in that very spot. And uh, so I, I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty cool speech. I didn't get to see it. <laughs> we don't, I wish, I wish we could go. In fact, I'm going to ask JM if we can start go, if the camera guys can go, even if we have to work or whatever, go to the event because I mean we're you know I mean should not to yeah I think so we're we're a part of this family. Everyone else is there, and a select few peop, few people go to work. Whether it's you know Wes filming with Ronnie Moore picking out people to interview, which is a whole nother topic in itself. And the people, did you see any of the interviews? And no. They, oh oh my goodness. They were freaking a riot, especially Chris and Trey Zaldane. That was that was entertainment. Well, at what its happened? Best. Uh, well, Ronnie caught. Ron <laughs> it was just funny. Let's just, let me just leave it at that. It was really in entertaining and interesting, and you can go to YouTube and watch it. <laughs> wow! Now, okay, now everyone's gonna want to watch it. There you go. Look, look what I just did for them. <laughs> so you're uh, you're refusing to tell me what happens you want me to go visually they see were it. they yeah they were inter they were interviews with couples uh -huh. and so and you know and ronnie would interview the angler and then he would interview uh the spouse and they would just talk about you know what it's like what the classic experience is like and what and it's two different perspectives right so each two perspectives is different from the next two perspectives because everyone has a different experience but at the end of the day i would love to start going to that event because 
<laughs> you are crawfishing your way out of this Ooh. one. <laughs> Slipped out the back door, didn't I? Yeah, that's a but, legacy uh, term I stole from him. It's a great one, though. Crawf that is that is a good one. That is a good one. But uh, yeah, so anyhow, getting back to the topic, the classic. The classic is in, in the Night of Champions, to me, is a really, really big part of the whole event. It kind of kicks things off for them as far as what you know, how big and how much this means to bass and how much this means to the legacy and how much this means to all the anglers. And I think it's at that point when they realize, thank God I made the classic this year and I never want to miss another one because yeah. of all that hoopla, you know? Yeah, no, it's an amazing night. It's a, it's a, it's a night of champions and you guys are champions and you should be there. So, uh, I I'll get behind that. Um, but I don't know what, I mean, well, I, you guys are just getting into town at that point too, aren't you? Like most of the camera. Yeah, we get in. Yeah. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And for those people that don't realize it, this is not a normal four day event. It's a three day event. So the camera guys get there on Thursday instead of Wednesday, like a, like normal events. So then we shoot Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or I'm sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we're out of there Monday morning. And this year I was scheduled to fly out Sunday night, but because I had requested that because I like to spend time with my kids after events, I like to be yeah. there Monday morning to pick them up and all that stuff. But, you know, the, the classic is so different and there's so much going on and you don't, regardless of who wins, like that's the whole thing. There's really, there are favorites. People are, have their picks, but when you announce the winner and that person hoists that trophy up, all of a sudden everything and everybody is happy for that person and everything after that becomes is focused on that person private parties you know bars restaurants everybody's in that whole little area of downtown knoxville is talking about that person and it's it's just this it, i don't know how to explain it man you got to be there to to get it right yeah, and well, it's weird because Christy kind of pointed that out last year, and it's such a non-Christy thing to point out. But like he said, it's he says when you win the classic, there's nothing like that. I mean, you win an elite, even you win Angler of the Year. I mean, your people that know you celebrate you and whatever. But the classic, it's like all of a sudden nothing matters. It that thing it's walks incredible. into a bar and everybody is focused on that person. You know what I mean? It really is. And I, I kind of watched it through those eyes this year. And Christy was right. Like, I mean, it's just such a different, different, you know, thing. It's, it doesn't compare to anything. Um, so, yeah, no, it is. It's a true celebration. And it was freaking awesome to see Gussie win. But before we get off to the victory, you were with Lester the whole time, right? You, you fished with, you stayed with him. Shot. I always say you fished, but he, he's not allowed to fish. Uh, you you ran camera on his boat. All I covered days, him. Correct. I covered him covered for him three up. days. Yeah, and he was actually my pick. And I think they probably put me with him because we're both Tennessee fans, and you know we have a little history together. Last year was really the first year that I got to be in in Brandon Lester's boat, and we got along well. I was with him at Pickwick, and I was with him at um up on the upper mississippi in lacrosse um which he he was in the running for angler of the year yeah. so both events were really exciting to be with him 
and and you know and he did well so and and i would like to say this about brandon lester brandon lester is a freaking hammer like people oh, yeah. that don't know that yet don't know Bassmaster yet because that guy that guy is he knows what he's doing i call him our new our new version of ot defoe that's who he reminds me of and ironically enough they're like best friends right yeah they fish a lot alike and they they're very subtle and calm it's really hard to rattle brandon lester but we did have a few moments uh, in the classic this year that I won't necessarily say rattled him, but that, you know, it brought some emotions out in him at, at a, at a keen time. And it was fun to be around him during those times. Okay. So when, when were the, were those times so on, later in yes. the event or early in the event? Oh, or? so day one, I don't know if you remember, but you know, he went to these, he went, he went to these, these, really shallow fairly stained water locations yeah and he was throwing a little rattle trap a little uh, lipless crankbait mm -hmm. and the fish were there but the fish that he thought were going to be there weren't really there so he you know he caught his limit day one i think in his second spot his first spot he never he never got a bite his second spot he went and filled his limit and then he went to these bluff walls and started uh, flipping a jig and he caught a five and a half or six pounder. I can't remember how big that fish was. I'm pretty sure it was five and a half. And when he, when he threw his jig in there on top of this boulder and bounced it off the side, I saw him step back. And then when he set his hook, it looked like he, he, he stuck his hook in a, in the rock. It was so big. And he got pumped. I mean, I've never seen him, you know, actually get up and go, yeah, he was screaming on camera, which I thought was pretty cool because that's very Brandon Lester, un unlike Brandon Lester yeah. normally. But again, this is the classic and all these little moments, you know, when you relive these things and you think about what's going on, it's really like everything about it is so different and yeah. everything about it is so is so is on steroids all the energy is on steroids and uh even brandon lester was showing his emotions there <laughs> yeah it, it's funny i never thought about it like this and this year i really it stood out to me i've always thought that the classic is three days and the elites are four days so i've always thought like well why wouldn't the classic i mean i get it tradition we can't change it now there's all those records and everything but is four days a more of a tasking challenge? But I think that the three days for the classic, and I don't know that it was ever thought out like this, but I think that in some ways it makes it tougher because in a four-day tournament and you look through the standings, you can see plenty of four-day tournaments where you don't catch them on day one, but you can work your way back into this tournament. You get another shot on day two, and then all you got to do is slide into the top 50 on day two, and then, you know, so on and so on. The classic doesn't allow that correction. So, you know, that old saying that I, you hear way too much, well, you sure can't win the classic on day one, but you sure can lose it. It's so much more true for the classic than it is for an elite series event. You know what I mean? Like it's, and it's weird how I never thought about it like that until this year's event. I thought like, there's no, there's no recovering. If you suck on day one, it, it's pretty much impossible to recover. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's tears to this too. It's like when you start breaking this down, right. And let's say you bomb 
day one. So you lose the classic on day one. Well, whenever, when the cut occurs after day two, then all those guys that get cut, the, the 27 people or 28 anglers that get cut after day two, they go to the expo and they become the guys just like the guys that didn't make the classic, yeah. like they're wishing they made that cut. And they're, you know, when you see their interviews at the booth, at their sponsor booths or whatever at the expo, you can feel that disappointment and that like, you know, Hey guys, you know, I wish I weren't here today, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm here at the such and such booth representing such and such. And so, and those guys that make the, what is it? The top 25 that make top the, 25. The, yeah day three cut really on in, in, especially in a situation like we were in on day three, dude, anyone, I mean, there, you know, there's a lot, there are lots of in, impossibles back there in the say from 15 down that really don't have a shot. But when something goes down, like it did in Knoxville and no one knows every, you know, Gussie's got two fish, two yeah. fish, like, and, and what if someone, someone in 16th place just stumbles across this school of bass and sacks them up like, and comes out of nowhere, you know what I'm saying? That was, that was a pretty wild day three, even though it was slow on television, the drama that was going down emotionally oh. was incredible, incredible. Yeah, we, we should have had a camera with Gussie's family. Never mind Gussie. Get the camera oh off of Gussie. Goodness. Nothing to see here, but his family just pacing. So that's all I thought about all day. It's like his family and how, because the anglers focused on fishing. They got the easiest job. I mean, they literally just are focused on getting next bite. And Gussie told me, and when he says this, it makes that day seem a lot less boring to me. He told me, he said, there wasn't 10 minutes that went by that I wasn't working to fish. That's what everybody didn't right. realize. Like, when people were like, well, why doesn't he have a backup strategy to do it? There wasn't 10 minutes that went by that he wasn't working a fish. So to him, it's like, why would I go chase a largemouth thing that I haven't fished in over a week that he wasn't even certain? He told me the night before, he said, I do have these crankbait largemouth I could go to if I get in trouble, but I really don't want to. And I think he was right, even though he finished with two, because I mean, to go from two to four or two to five literally could have happened in two minutes. You could have had, you know, they turn on and boom. And if you're work, if you weren't working fish, that's a different thing, but he knows the fish are still there, but yeah, for his family that day, it must've been hell. Like at, le at least they could watch bass track, right? At least they knew that the rest of, I mean, to me, I'm in Gussie's head and I'm watching bass track. I'm in Brandon Lester's boat. And that's a whole nother story because Brandon, he only had, let me remember. It seems like a month ago already. <laughs> um, I think he only had one fish in the well, one or two little bitty fish in the well. No, it was, I'm sorry. It was one fish in the well at like 2:45 PM literally. And we're 30 minutes. We're 30 minutes from the boat ramp and he's got one fish in the well. He's got 15 minutes to fish. He goes back to the very first spot he started on day one, which didn't produce, but he had such a good practice there and he knew those fish were there. If he just caught it at the right time, he pulls up 
first cast he gets bit he doesn't he doesn't hook one but he gets bit and he's like oh so then in 15 minutes he catches three more three fish and these fish are getting bigger like each one was it went from 14 inches to a two pounder to two and a half pounder. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like if he had wings on this boat or a turbo, <laughs> a turbo nitro nitrous boost on this boat, he would spend five more minutes here. And there's a chance that something crazy could happen because of, of what was going on, particularly knowing Gussie only had two fish and Brandon didn't know this. The other anglers didn't know this and my stomach's churning and my brain is spinning because I'm going, I'm getting in Gussie's head going, if I'm Gussie right now, or at one thirty or two o'clock on day three, and he's got two fish in the boat with six pounds, knowing he only had a five pound lead going out on day three. Like what is pot? What's going through his head? He just choked and blew it. Right. He had to be thinking that way. That's what he thought. That's, that's what he told me. Me and him had a real weird little moment backstage where like I leave, we've weighed 19 and there's six left to go. And the six are standing backstage waiting to get introduced. So I walk off stage and they're all right there. And they look up at me coming down the stairs and me and Gussie kind of locked eyes. And I asked him, you know, what, what were you thinking at that moment? And, you know, he made a few jokes that thought I'd be pretty happy because nobody's going to know. And I always want it to be a surprise, which I do. But I mean, I, I don't want you to have to go through such pain. Um, but he thought he lost. He was like, there's no way. Like, I opened the door for all these guys and there's no way somebody didn't catch him. Um, and he said it wasn't until he heard Schmidt's weight. When he heard Schmidt's weight, he was like, I, I think I won. Um, just because he knew in his head, but see, that's a whole other topic, but that's why that needs to be stopped. To be honest, like, I don't care. I get it. Bass doesn't want to stop bass track. Um, it gets a lot of traffic, but we got to make a rule where the anglers can't look at it because if you, if you just remove that element of staring at the screen, figuring out everybody's weights. It just makes that moment so much more special. I mean, it was special for Gussie anyways because it was so close and in so much drama going through it. But I just feel like it's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Like the, the And the amount of people that talk to the anglers in between the boat ramp and them actually weighing their fish is, is good in some ways, but it's horrible in some ways. Like there is every single tournament, there's anglers told you have won. You have won. Like media people will actually ask for their post- win victory video for x company you know say get it out of the way and so they're actually doing this stuff and then they get up to the front and find out you didn't win you know what i mean it's just it really is a, an emotional roller coaster but um from our standpoint i think we did a much better job of keeping them apart this year gussie said that he said we, you know we didn't get the top three didn't get to spend a lot of time with each other um but I think we just we need to freeze bass track. I mean, I, I wish we'd freeze it for the an hour to go tell way in. Let's freeze it for everybody. You want to talk about making that moment magic. Um, the anglers aren't allowed to look at it anyways during competition. So it's only afterwards. You're only literally are only it's not helping them in the tournament. It literally just helps shorten that anguish for the eventual winner. Um, so I wish we would stop that, but um 
Sorry. For I'd, have, going I'd have to shut. I'd have to shut my phone down when Bass Track goes off if they do that too, because my phone would be blowing up with people, just my friends of mine that are fans with fantasy fishing or fans of Bassmaster, and they watch it religiously or whatever. I'd ha I'd literally have to kill my phone too because people would be going, "What what what does Lester have? You know, did you hear? Text Brian Evie and see what." Yeah, but got, you can you know? know all you want. I don't care if you know, dude. I just don't want the angler knowing. I mean, the the staff can know, the fans can know, but that moment is so, like that moment when the entire like the entire fishing world stops. There's one moment of a year that the entire fishing world stops, and I don't care who you are. If you're a bass fishing fan, you're watching that. You're and everything stops in the arena. And that moment, that moment is so magic. And we've been so lucky to have things like what happened with Gussie, to have things like what happened with Jason Christie not being totally accurate on his bass track. You know, all those little things like that are what make those moments so special. But I, I just, my fear is that we won't change it. We'll stay status quo. And then one year, somebody's going to win and we're all going to be like, just wasn't as special this year. Why? And, and at that time, nobody's going to say, well, we were, we've been allowed to look at everything. So, um, I hope we change that sometime in the future, but, but don't um, you think it would be, if that were to happen, it would be so obvious. Like when Caleb Kufal won Gunnersville by 17 pounds or whatever that ridiculous that's the second highest win margin in the history of the sport i mean why but even you if it was eight but what if it was eight pounds what 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 is you i think you asked or someone asked what is the the largest uh winning deficit in bass in bassmaster classic history do you know the answer to that classic history i would imagine it's probably um it's either got to be Jordan Lee or Randy Howell. I mean, they came from 11th and 14th, I think. Um, so it's got to be one of those guys, I think. But what about um, the gap between the winner and the second place? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I mean, the biggest in Elite Series history was Patrick Walters. I know that, but not as far as classic right. goes. But, I mean, dude, if somebody wins the classic by 15 pounds, it's going to be obvious anyways. What I mean is, but they generally don't win the classic, but because I mean, Gussie had almost a six pound lead going in the final day. It didn't end up that way. Um, so, I mean, that's a whole different topic, but I just think like it's, it's such a cherished thing. And I'm sure lots of people will share their opinions in the comments. Like, I, I just think that there's some magic. I mean, why don't we wrap Christmas gifts in clear wrapping paper? <laughs> because it's you want that reaction when somebody opens the gift. I mean, people ask, write letters and say, I would like said gift. And and they expect said gift. Said gift shows up <laughs> and they still go, I got said gift. And they're excited because we make an effort. And I think that in in the classic, but it's it's so hard in the classic because it's so big. I mean, there's so many media, there's so many people like I just want to take away that element of somebody picking up their phone and doing the math. And, um, that, that, that's just my thought. And if they it's don't, they don't, I mean, it'll be fine. I'll, don't I'll you think it. like w within an hour of the final cast and then the boat ride in and then the wait to get into the arena, like 
how how do or do you find yourself doing math? I find myself doing math all the time, especially like last year with Jason Christie. Like I kept looking at his fish, thinking, okay, he's got man, he got he got to be close to seventeen pounds, and Kyle Welcher's got such and such. I do math like up until the last moment. See, I don't it's weird because I don't, don't. I intentionally don't pay attention on the last afternoon. Like I literally. The only reason I knew Gus, he still only had two fish is because somebody said he still only got two. Um, I, I try and I literally try to have my reaction as real as possible. So, so this, like, I this didn't know that Gussie won. Like, I literally, I, I had no idea that Gussie won. I hadn't done the math like he had done it. Um, when I saw that he needed, so when one angler weighs, when they switch to the next angler slide, I can see weight to take lead when i saw he needed five six i think it was he needed to lead that was the first time that i thought i think he's got that i mean if you got two 18 inch small mall chances are you you have six pounds right. so uh but but previous to that i i don't um that I, that's that's actually i mean that's amazing and that leads me into this question what is it like what's it like being on stage at the bat, like in your position, Dave, what is it like to be on stage at the Bassmaster Classic? I mean, I, I mean, I watch you on stage. I mean, I'm either back there filming with Zona and Davey and Tommy Sanders, or I'm I'm doing something, but I'm always watching you and I'm always listening to you. And you know, the things that you that you rattle off in detail and and this crowd and the lights, it's a completely different stage. You got 15,000 people in, in Thompson Bowling Arena all listening to you, and you're about to announce the champion. You're about to change, help change someone's life forever. What's that like? It's weird. It's weird. I don't ever think about it like that, to be honest. Like in the moment, you can't stop to think about like when I watch it back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is that moment that like you can screw up everything all week long, but you can't screw up this moment. Um, so I, I don't think about it like that, but it it is that I mean, it, it's it's cool. Like the, I will say the weirdest thing about Gussie's victory is it's the first time somebody has won that I didn't know what I said on stage. Like I literally got off stage and uh, my wife, Sarah was there and she was the first person I saw when I got off stage. And I said, what did I say? And she oh, said, Oh, Canada. I didn't even know that I said, like, I don't know what, like, I didn't, I had to watch it back and it was, Oh, Canada, you have a Bassmaster classic champion. Um, but I, I, I literally didn't remember saying it as weird as that is. Um, I don't know if that means I'm ultra professional or not professional at all, but <laughs> I think you're in the moment. And I'll tell you what I saw you do after you said that, because you're going, I mean, you're like ripping, you know, you're ripping this. You're going, oh, Canada, you have a new Bassmaster Classic champion. And when you said that and Gussie, I remember you guys giving each other high five and you could hear the thump on the mic. And then when Gussie stepped forward, you were behind him and you were like, you like paced back once and then came back like a, like a, like a, like a, like a tiger. And I was like, dude, he was so jacked up. Like you were so jacked up at that moment. And, and partly, you know, primarily just because you just announced 
a new Bassmaster Classic champion, but also relating this to your your country and and your culture and your your relationship to Gussie, even though I know you're you know you're neutral across the board, that had to mean a lot to you and your country and all the people that have dreamt about you know doing something like this from the Johnston brothers to, you know, now uh, uh, Cooper Gallant and everybody that from Canada that, cause it almost, when I talk to Canadians about bass fishing, I mean, Canadians are incredible bass fishermen. We all know that, but Canada fishing Canadian circuits is not the same as coming down here and fishing the Bassmasters elite elites, because if it was, no one would be doing it. People, Americans would be going to Canada to try to fish that circuit. And so for this to happen, you know, for your country, I, I'm American and I, I bleed red, white, and blue, but I was really happy for you. I was happy for Gussie, happy for Canada and all those people that dream of all the people that came down and rented that ridiculous house in Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy for everyone and I one of the first thoughts that crossed my mind was this is really really great for bass because this true I mean it's been done with Takahiro Amori yeah. in Japan but man this really sort of this was really the first classic that I've been to that felt international with all the Aussies here all the Japanese people here all the Canadians here, like I've even had, I've even gotten texts from my friends in Brazil and Mexico talking about trying to recruit their top anglers in the peacock bass fishing world and in the Mexican uh, bass tournament circuit, trying to get them to come in up here and start fishing opens to try to qualify for the elites because this has gone international. I think it's tremendous and what you did a hell of a job, Dave. That was it's always exciting to hear you on stage. I know you don't like to hear that stuff, but I'm just telling you, I'm speaking from the fans' perspective. You did a freaking marvelous job. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at those. Um, it's no, I, I, I agree with you though, like it is a huge thing internationally. I think that. You know, it's real easy to be like, oh, a Canadian guy, well, that's cool. It's the first of this. But I, I think that I agree with you. Like the international feel of of bass fishing has never been stronger. You know what I mean? With with And the Aussies being there was huge. But like you just look at, at Takumi and, and the following that he has. It's pretty amazing. Like it's pretty it's, it's very, very cool um to see how that's all gone but but like when you're actually up there in the stage i don't think of the moment until after you know what i mean then after you're like oh wow you know it was the classic but i mean you're just i think it's probably the same as when you're shooting dude like when you're shooting if your guys hooked to fish that might win him the Bassmaster Classic. It's not like you're shooting it any different. It's not like you're in your mind being like oh I gotta frame this different. This is the classic shot. You're just shooting it to the best of your abilities. True. And I think it's the same in my line of work. You know what I mean? You're just trying to announce it to the best of your ability, give it a call that 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 makes sense. And some of them work, some of them don't. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's gotta it's, be a pre it's gotta be a pinch yourself or some kind of a, a different feeling when you first walk up on stage at the day day one weigh-in where I mean, this is just incredible. It's incredible that 
the vision that Ray Scott had has become this. And it's not like the Bassmaster Classic has just turned into this instant, you know, Super Bowl of bass fishing. This has been going on for years, but with social media platforms and everyone's got a camera on their phone and all the all the content that's being delivered out there into the into the into digital space it seems that much more bigger. And when you walk into a place like, I don't know if you know this, but Thompson Bowling Arena is the largest on-campus basketball arena in the country. It is. When they built it, they built it to hold 20, I think 26,000 people at full capacity when the men's basketball team is playing or the women's. And when they were really good, they would fill that thing up. And I think it held 26,000 people. So, as I was judging the crowd, I felt like on day three, there was probably 15,000 people inside. I don't know the exact number, but that's what it, it seemed like. And that's a freaking big crowd. We're talking about bass fishing. <laughs> bass fishing. Yeah, it's amazing. It amazes it's, me every year that many, it, it, many people show up and... I'm thankful for each and every one of them, but it, it is amazing. I mean, it's an amazing event. It's, it's, it's so much bigger than the actual tournament. You know what I mean? Like when you see everything going on in, in town with everything that has anything to do with fishing has something going on there. You know what I mean? Whether it be the hall of fame deal and there's all different things happening. Um, and the classic is so, yeah, no long answer to your question. I don't, when you're doing it, I don't think you think like that. I don't think the anglers think like that. I think the that's the whole reason that the that the classic weigh-in is so special to them. That coming through the doors because I think anglers do as much as they can to forget that it's the classic. They just try to fish. They just try to fish, when and then we fishing. remind them. We remind them in the morning that uh, no, this isn't just a tournament. But then they get back to fishing. Then all of a sudden. Their boat comes out, and yeah, they're doing media. They've got a bunch of media to do on the way to weigh in, but then they come out in this arena, and and that's, to me, what makes that event so special because in our sport, they don't have that moment. They don't, you know, in golf, you can sink the putt in front of thousands of people and get that reaction from the crowd, and everybody's watching live. In, in our sport, it has been so anti that for so long. You know, we see it on Bass Live, but you don't get that fan reaction moment nobody you know nobody gets to see that moment where everybody just like wow you did it you won um that's why i think the classic is so special because it's it's a fan's opportunity and that's dude that's honestly all that i am is a fan like it, the same crap like you talk about me pacing back and forth stuff Dude, what do you think I was like to watch this crap with before I did it for a living i mean i was sure. still an idiot that yelled stupid stuff <laughs> um, I just didn't have a microphone, you know what I mean? But I, I still remember jumping to off of my out of my chair every time someone wins, you know, regardless of being on the stage or not. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's we're all fans, we're all yeah, the anglers are fans, the production team are fans, the writers, the studio people, we're all freaking the biggest fans of our own sport. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's truly for those of you that have never been to the Bassmaster classic, I would highly encourage you to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's great that you get to watch it alive and all the coverage, but I would highly encourage you to put this on your bucket list of things to do in your life. 
go to the Bassmaster Classic at some point because it is an incredible, everybody's there. You get to see the biggest stars, old school, new school, middle school, everybody. All the schools are there. All the all the brands, the 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 expo is growing exponentially. It's just it's just one of those things where I don't ever want to miss another one either. And I want to say this too about the stage. How about Brandon Lester coming out to Rocky Top? And how about the birthday? I want to tell you the birthday wish that you guys gave his daughter. His daughter turned five years old on day three of the Bassmaster Classic in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was on the the back, not the backstage, but the the stage on the opposite end of the floor from you doing the interviews with Tommy Sanders, um, uh, Davy Height and Mark Zona doing the the post post the Sunday edit night show. studio the Sunday night show, and and so when you came out, we were in a break, and when Brandon Lester came up on stage, I just started filming it because with my camera because I wanted to send it to Kimberly, his wife, so that they would have that Rocky Top and his his day three you know super six deal on on video and then you guys did the whole birthday celebration and you're like on on three i want you guys everyone to wish wish her a happy birthday one two three and everyone said happy birthday and i got all that on on video on my can on my phone and i sent that to brandon and kimberly and i could i could feel kimberly crying when i sent it to her because her daughter's going to have that for the rest of her life and so that was a really really cool moment not only for brandon his wife his family his child but the entire arena was like it lit up when y'all did that that was pretty cool yeah there was there was a lot of those cool moments this classic um one of my favorites was um on saturday sunday and i don't know how much of this you got to see because you know like i said you you're working and you're not there all of it um but but we did this light it up for Ray thing, which was so cool where I, I mean, I, I showed up at the classic and I said, Bob, as it, I had this story where I'm like, as a tribute to Ray, you know, what's built bass, not one person, it's one person here, one person there. And it's like all of us together shine this really bright light on the sport we love. So one by one, I would encourage the crowd to light it up. You know what I mean? And, and as a tribute to Ray Scott, and um that wasn't my name uh we were in a production meeting and i'm like so i'm gonna do this and they're like light it up for ray and i said perfect that's the perfect name so we lit it up for ray and it was one of the coolest moments and i had the best seat to see it you know what i mean mm -hmm. to stand back in the stage and you just watch all these bassmaster fans with their flashlights on it was literally it, it was it was just a very very cool tribute and a very fitting tribute and um that's pretty I cool. think it's something we're going to do every year because it's just that cool. You know what I mean? It's so cool to see. And it is that it tells the it tells the story that that Ray Scott left us. You know what I mean? One by one, he contacted these people and turned these lights on throughout the bass fishing world. They were always there. They were lights that existed, but they that's, shone. That's incredible in their own area. But when you think about it one by one, and I don't think I ever explained it right on the stage, but I felt it right. You know what I mean? Like that's for me to watch it coming to life. That's what oh, it felt like. You oh, know what I mean? Helen Severe to Bob Cobb to to Roland Martin to Hank yeah. Parker to Bill Dance. 
all these people that really, oh, dude, I got chill bumps. You know what? That reminds me of that video clip I sent you from Red Rocks when yeah. Whiskey Myers was playing Stone. You asked me to send you that clip, and everybody, it used to be lighters, right? Yeah. Big lighters, and now it's phone lights. And it's it's extremely powerful. It's like this, it's like a a memorial service or a uh you know a moment of silence or a moment of honor for whoever it is you're honoring, be it you know Ray Scott or whoever. And and you're right, that I didn't get to see that, but but it just gave me chills. And having been a part of this new show called, you know, The Chase, yeah, about the history of the Ray cast. Scott that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. The cast. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> cast. Um, you know, it brings that to light where it was it was the initial fire that Ray Scott had the vision and he knew who to hire one by one. And literally it grew. It grew one person at a time from those people that started the marketing end of it to the people, you know, like Gene Gilliland that figured out how to take care of the fish so there would be a high a low mortality rate to help public relations with the you know the locals at these fisheries um you know that that everything about everything about it is so true and and that tribute you you did i wish i would have seen that is, is it on I wonder if that's on file somewhere i'm sure it's on somewhere people keep sending me little clips of it but i'm sure we captured it somehow well i know I know Ben shot some really cool stuff of it because he included in one of his short little videos that he put together earlier this week that it was awesome. Dude, um, what, what about Ben Oliver? Oh, he's a stud. He's so fun to work with. He's uh, so much fun to work with. We're yeah. going to work. We talk, we talk quite a bit on the phone and we're going to do some more work together just in non-endemic. He wants to come out to Colorado and shoot a boxing documentary with my son and his gym and all that. He's just he he's fabulous. Yeah, he's great. And it's weird because I've worked with a lot of different editors. And generally it takes editors a while to kind of read my weird mind. Like I don't talk in words. So oftentimes I'll just be like, you know, do a and then you know, you come down with a yeah. and yeah. reads all of those yeah. for whatever yeah. reason, like um. So he's so he uses a sound effect that you give as a visual effect, right? <laughs> he knows how to match them up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in that video that he came out, that one minute video, like me and him were talking about that song, Rocky Top song, but I don't even know who sings that slow, that real slow version. But we talked about it, like before we even cut that video, we talked to him like, you know, it's so calm and quiet outside, but inside that arena is just fireworks and and when he brought that, I'm like, dude, it's exactly the weird crap that was in my head that you just, he's so talented. He's incredibly talented. Um, we're not good at our job, or we would have tell you, we're talking about Ben Oliver, one of the Bassmaster videographers. And he only gets to come to um, certain events now. Um, he's the media director for corporate Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's who he is. Sold out was what he did. <laughs> yeah. He sold out. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the dumbest thing people tell people? Like if he gets successful, sold like, uh, he sold out. No, he oh he became an adult. He cashed what in. He, did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he cashed in, baby. Like you would turn that down if that came your way, right? So I want to explain the the slow version of Rocky Top. Can I do that? Yeah. So that started uh, last this past year during football season. Tennessee always plays South Carolina. 
um, sometime around Halloween. And that that version of Rocky Top is, I believe it's the Osborne brothers who originally sang uh, Rocky Top, but they slowed it, they remastered it and slowed it down. And the reason they did that was for a an, an edited cut that um, that the University of Tennessee did for their football team to promote and and hype up this the one, Tennessee. Right? Is this the one yeah, you heard? Yeah, that, that's it. They did that for the Halloween game against South Carolina, and the whole the whole cut for that the the marketing or the promo cut for that game was was supposed to be spooky and scary because it was a Halloween game. So that's why they slowed that version down. Wow! That, wow! Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then used it to make an awesome, awesome video with, um, like yeah. he does always. I mean, some great stuff. Um, okay. So you said there was, there was some stuff that happened on the water where we're, I mean, I knew we'd be all over the place for this. This is the classic. Talk to me about Lester and how he was fishing and, and what happened on the water this week. So mostly, yeah. So mostly he was throwing a lipless crankbait, a rattle trap, a small, like a number six rattle trap or something, um, into muddy, shallow water. And he was relating it to rocks individual rocks that were in shallow water and you know it, he definitely had a pattern he had like three coves where feeder creeks came in and they were they all basically had the same habitat different locations they might have been five miles apart uh, but they were very very similar in habitat and he if one wasn't clicking the other one was when that one shut down, he would go back to another one and it would turn on or none of them turned on. And he just kept making that rotation Well, on day three. He was, he was good for two days. Day three, like I said, I mean, he struggled and you could tell like his attitude was the first two hours. He didn't have a fish and he's going, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get rattled. Everything's cool. Yeah. And he's just playing it off. Cause you know, you're fighting that beast that wants to just come out and go, ah, it's not working. What am I going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, he's, I think he's just staying calm and being Brandon Lester. And then he gets out of that, that little rotation. And the first thing he does is he go he starts flipping a jig in into these rocky bluffs because he caught that one big one he wasn't necessarily fishing places that he had been to he was just he was just looking at his map and going to new bluffs and flipping these bluffs hoping he'd run into a big one right and that didn't happen so then you know he goes back to his pattern and goes back to one of these uh, feeder creek coves one of these uh, little ponds i call it and that's not working. So then he's going, moving out to some brush piles. He's like, well, if they're not in this shallow water, they got to be close. So he'd move out to deeper water and check that with his, with his active target. And then, you know, he starts flipping a, a, a wacky rig and he's like, he's, you know, he's, he's changing his strategies thinking, okay, this ain't working. And he goes through literally probably six or seven different strategies or techniques trying to find something that he thought might be in, in relating to the calm day we had, because there was no wind on day yeah. three and it went from, you know, 
good conditions to really calm and dead, no activity, less, you know, shad. There's a ton of shad in that river system. If the people that don't know it, there are shad everywhere. They're, you know, for two days, they were flicking like little glitter flakes of glitter all over the lake and day three it wasn't happening nearly as as much so you know he i don't think he ever spun out he just exhausted all of his his the techniques that he thought would work and then again like i said man he was running out of time and he was to the point where he's like oh well you know it this was fun this was I was still got to fish the Bassmaster Classic. I'm in the top six. This was still a great event. I'm and I'm gonna hold my head, hold my head high, and all that. And then he pulls up. He's like, I'm gonna go try one more spot. He goes back to the very first spot that he tried on day one, and starts catching them. And there were two people on planet Earth at that point going, Holy crap, this might actually happen. Actually, three, because Kimberly, Kim was texting me because she was watching Bass Track. She's like, Just keep praying, keep praying, keep catching them, keep catching them. Like, you know, don't waste any time. I mean, literally seconds mattered. And if he got hung up in a in a limb or something, you know, it was a waste of time and the clocks the clock seemed like it's ticking faster because he starts catching these fish and man there for a moment i was like holy crap if he catches if he catches a four pounder right now then he's closing that gap really really quickly if he catches two four pounders right now this is going to get this is this is unbelievable it didn't happen but you know as a camera guy and the only other person in the boat experiencing this with that angler you know the energy level was, was really high. So yeah, man, it was like, when it was all over, it's kind of like, you know, you always say you got to come down, you got to come down after, after your, your, your events, especially the classic. And sometimes when we get off the water, I feel the same way. I just want to go be by myself for a few minutes because there's so much energy spent yeah. just watching this happen. Yeah. And it's gotta be, that's why you think about the anglers too. That's the weird thing you see. Like I, I, I've, uh, I ran into Cox right after weighing, um, me and Schmidt have, have traded texts. Uh, he's a little under the weather. So we, we hadn't talked. Um, but that must just be tenfold for them. You know what I mean? Like when you go through it, you're just like, Man, it was so like that's what Cox kept saying backstage. He says, I've never watched it that close. He says, I've never been at the side of the stage when some like he says, I've been in classics, but I'm in the crowd or I'm, you know, busy when the person wins. But he said, I've never been that close to it when it really happens, when somebody's life changes. And like he that's all he just kept saying, which I mean is is just kind of explains what that's like you think as an angler you go through it as a camera person or whoever that's involved in the event it's exhausting but as an angler you're like will i ever have a this shot again you know exactly. what i mean is this, is this exactly. ever like it's easy to be like oh yeah you got second in a classic you'll win yours you'll get third in a classic but there's some people that never get more than that and that's it like it, it's such a and that's what the classic is, dude. Like, and for whatever reason, it stands out to me more and more. It's just like, all right, so we're going to have this fishing tournament. 
all right, cool. We like fishing <laughs> tournaments. What do we do? Well, normally we pre-fish for three days and then we start the tournament and it's four days and, but we're not going to allow you to pre-fish three days before it. We're going to allow you to pre-fish a week before it. And then we're going to throw in a bunch of things that make you uncomfortable, like dressed in suits and all sorts of stuff to go to do all these different media things and dinners. And then after you've been off the water, just enough that you don't have really much contact with it anymore. We're going to put you back on the water, but you're going to be with a media person for a day. And then we're going to pull you off the water. We're going to send you to that dinner that night. The next day, we're going to have a media day. And then you're going to get the fish tournament. So it's literally like a fishing tournament with a bunch of hurdles built around it. You know what I mean? When you think it's about Super it, Bowl, like, it's the Super Bowl of fish. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Right? It's the same thing. It's the, the Super Bowl. They have to go through all that stuff. And then, and then at the end of the day on Sunday, they have to go out and play a game. And they've been distracted. They have every reason to completely spin out, lose their minds because all these other distractions were going on. But when the bell goes off or the gun goes off and you announce these anglers names and they freaking stomp the the throttle on their on their boat and they're taking off going down river when you're going down river aside from the fans and whatnot it's it's just another tournament really i mean that's yeah. kind of how it feels once you get once you take off it's just another tournament you're going fishing here's one thing that blows me away and I, i'd like your opinion on it um okay. and i got this information from the dudes at best on tour who put out a pretty awesome newsletter. It's free. Uh, you should check it out. Best on tour. It's called, and it's a newsletter. You sign up and they give stats around tournaments and stuff. Only 7% of the classic field moped or Demiki rigged it the way Gussie won. Uh, the most prevalent thing that was done in the classic 28% of them caught fish in a jig, 17% on a bladed jig, 11% a crankbait. And here's one that stands out to me that's fun. 2% on a buzz bait. So huh. literally on a buzz bait. Uh, there was a few of them that said <laughs> on stage, I threw a buzz bait. Um, but if you look at 2% on a buzz bait and then to say 7% of them fished the way they watched it be one a year previous, you know, not that different a time of year, but literally a year previous, Gussie put out the blueprint why do you think so few of them did it in the tournament? Because they're not as comfortable at it as other some other guys are. Because you know as well as I do, most of these guys, when, when a guy wins a tournament, like let's just say Lee Livesey wins a tournament or Drew Cook at Santee Cooper, most of these guys win a tournament at, a, at, a, at an event that, that specializes at the time of the year, the, the way it sets up, how they grew up fishing, what they're really good at, particularly someone like Drew Cook bed fishing like he did at Santee Cooper last year. You know, that's how that's what they're comfortable doing. Right. And so I think they choose not to do that because they're not comfortable. Maybe they're good at it, but they're not they're not comfortable doing it on that system in the setup, you know, there's a lot of people that avoided, they could have gone in and invaded Gussie's location. It would have been totally illegal for anyone to have did, gone. though, too. They there did. was lot, lots of, lots of did. They did, but there was also that whole, you know, it, it's like walking on thin ice too. Right. I mean, it wasn't like, 
do you do you feel like it was invaded more than you thought it would be or do you think it was invaded less than it, it it was i don't know where i'm at with it dude like i'm literally i've i've argued with it in my head for so long like i honestly feel like this is a situation where Gussie got rewarded for being the person that he is in some ways. You know what I mean? Like I, there was 10 to 15 anglers that I talked to before tournament even started that said to me, I didn't even look at it. And these are anglers who, who probably could have done it. Um, I, if I, any, I feel the same way, but there was like 10 to 15 of them said, I didn't even look at it. It's not right. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, well, is it not right? I mean, he won a tournament on it he you know i've always been a believer if you win a tournament you shoot a tv show somewhere where you've sold that you know what i mean you gave it away but then i asked gussie about it and i said well how do you make those kind of decisions and gussie's like i if i don't feel right about it i don't do it mm -hmm. but that that's a weird spot to be because there's a lot of people who probably feel fine about it that would that, do it um sure so I don't know what the right thing to do is. There's part of me that thinks like what Gussie on earth there is so unique and so different as a competitor. If I go by the Gussie way of doing things and think that if it makes me feel bad, I shouldn't do it. I probably shouldn't do it. Um, but as a straight up competitor, I've heard people say that if you didn't do that, you, you, you didn't do the right job for your, the companies you work with. You just not, gave it I'm away. Not, I'm not there either. Like, I, I don't know what the right thing to do is, but it, I do think it's amazing that Gussie dominated this fishery. We'll say six days in a row, not seven, because the last day he only caught two fish, ended up winning the tournament, but he dominated this fishery for six com competition days in a row. And that's so rare. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. People, people pick up on it and people do it. I think it was a situation where people... Showed a lot of respect towards Gussie because of who he is and how he treats people. I think it's also a situation where Bingo. he's plain old, plain old better at it than everybody. I mean, whether Bingo. you like, there's guys that have tried to do it that sat beside him and said, "I I can't get him to bite, but he can." I mean, he is. We're seeing somebody who is one of the best in the world at doing what he's doing. But um, it amazes me that only seven percent of the anglers did it like it, it you would never see that in another fishery i hate to get into this too but but, but just for a second but let's <laughs> i'm gonna open a can of worms let's do that you know we've had three tournaments this year two in florida mm -hmm. one at the bassmaster classic all three have been won with front-facing sonar yeah right? and you look at what gussie did on a pretty i mean how many people have been fishing that area like Gussie did after he won in 2020. You know what I'm saying? Like, Lots of people. Yeah, exactly. Like every tournament gets one there. Like right. 24 pounds the week before got one there. The only difference is they're allowed to throw an Alabama rig. And and and, and, and I heard people saying before anglers saying before the tournament, the tournament's gonna get one there again, at least within and I would be like, you mean within a half a mile of that? No, within four hundred yards of that. That's where the winning fish wow. are. And so, and so you put all this together and you start thinking about, you know, the people that, that don't necessarily aren't favorable towards front facing sonar technology coming into the sport of bass fishing. But then you listen to Gussie, particularly on day three, where he actually, he raised, 
and which is a little part of the detail and what he was doing. He raised over a hundred fish on day three. He just couldn't catch them. Yeah. Right? He caught two. I think he hooked up on a couple more and missed him or whatever, but he only, had a few he only, shorts. I had a few that were a few. Yep. He landed two keepers, 18 inch plus, And he talked about them feeling the pressure, them adjusting to front facing sonar. So you, you know, you take that in consideration, apply it to to all the conversations have been held this year thus far since, you know, February and what, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make it automatic and it doesn't make it, you know, I mean, sometimes it locks you into something that you probably should change up doing, but you're seeing them and you can't catch them. And and it's that much more difficult. And I think what Gussie did epitomizes all those things that we've talked about and a lot of the debates that, that have gone on, even though he did win the tournament, you know, he didn't win it with a full bag of fish and it was an extremely challenging day for him. I found the details and what he's doing and how he's doing it to be incredibly incredibly interesting and unique yeah and and, i mean he's the best at it i mean it's weird it's so weird in this sport how we are reluctant to tell people that you know what i mean like he's just better than most people doing that now will people if we go back there will people put more pressure on i'm sure but i'm sure it's getting hammered as we speak but um you still have to understand the microscopic details and what he was doing. And even at that, you can tell someone that all you want, they still might not be able to go out there and do it because he was so in tune. I've heard so many times people saying, Hey, well, he did, he was just ice fishing on open water. And I'm like, dude, it's way you don't, you don't, you don't move around like that. Ice fishing, you know, you're not, this is, that's not, he, he, I mean, there may have been some, some style or some, some, you know, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Some detail that, that, that made him that good at it through ice fishing. Well, you fish vertically. I mean, he's good. He's very good at fishing vertically, but I mean, that technique started when that really, and Gussie would be the better one to explain it. But if you ask me that stuff exploded on rainy Lake and that's when it first started and it was the Linders not um not al linder it was uh it was uh james no no not ron i mean they were all doing it but it was james and uh billy linder who won that tournament they won several tournaments and basically what they were catching is these pelagic smallmouth bass that were eating smelt way out and nobody nobody was catching them you'd catch them on a jerk bait when they're up shallow other than that you just mark when you're graphing you couldn't catch them they figured out a way to do it and that's where it was called moping because it looks like you're just moping around you know what I mean? I think Ron Linder named it moping and, mm-hmm. uh, but that's where that came from. But dude, I remember being at a tournament on rainy Lake 20 something years ago. And, um, and Gussie was in that tournament. And I remember us all talking about how that, you know, the two big techniques that were, everybody was using there was that. And, and the, um, the fluff, the little mayfly or not mayfly, but the little, uh, marabou jigs that, are so popular now but those are the two things but so like just say that to yourself that's 20 years of doing that and you think you're gonna be like okay so i i saw him do it a year ago and i spent a little time learning how to do it i mean 20 years of doing it 
it, he's just simply better at it than most people. And, and I think that we saw being a good guy pay off big time in this event. Like, I really think that that's, that's a lot of what you saw with Gussie um, because just Karma. the amount of anglers that would walk on stage and say, I hope Gussie wins. I hope Gussie wins. Like pretty amazing. It, it was uh pretty phenomenal. And I think people will downgrade that way. He caught them. You know, it's something learned ice fishing or whatever. Cause I mean, he's Canadian. Why not say that? Um, but I, I think there's more to it than just sitting on a bucket and ice fishing. I mean, he, what he did was, was phenomenal. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens with him now in Canada. Like, uh, it, it, I, in my opinion, he should be on the cover of everything. In my opinion, those three guys and now four with Coop should have been on the cover of everything in the from the beginning like they are they're doing stuff that has never been done they're showing a path that canadian canadian anglers up till now didn't think even existed the amount of people that 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 event most specifically motivated pay attention 10 years from now there's going to be people winning events that are going to say watch the opens yeah i was i you was watching saying? gussie win and seeing Gussie win made me feel like I could win. And that's why I'm here. Like, I mean, it really is, uh, it was pretty freaking amazing. It really was. And, and, you know, at being, I went to that after, after, uh, that late night party, uh, that the Canadians had at that crazy, crazy <laughs> yes. house. And, you know, that was really sort of the story, like without people saying they were inspired what happened every, you know, most of the people in that house were from Canada and everyone was so proud. Everyone was waiting on Gussie to get there. You know, Hey, they wanted to be able to touch Gussie and be a part of the whole show. But at the end of the day, that's really about inspiration and everyone there has some, you know, relationship with bass fishing or tournament fishing or brands building products or whatever it is. And, for Gussie to have done that, I mean, Chris Johnston inspired people with his win, you know, initially, but for Gussie to come in and win the Bassmaster Classic, that, I mean, you could, you could feel, you could feel that energy at that party with all the Canadians there, how inspiring and, and what that's going to do, what that's doing right now for the future of Canadian uh, tournament anglers. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it affects it. I mean, I, I, I'm interested to see how it affects it long-term with anglers. I'm interested to see how it affects it long-term with media. Um, because if you ask me, you know, Gussie, I mean, there's been six Canadians in total that have ever qualified for the Bassmaster Classic. Wow. And one of them has won. Just say that to yourself. Like, it is pretty amazing when you look at six. Six Canadians have qualified ever. And uh, and Gussie's a Bassmaster Classic champion. So, um, and Cooper it, did it in first in his first open series. What's that? Right, Cooper Gallant. He qualified for the elites. He went and fished the opens last year and qualified his first year in the opens. No, he fished the opens the year before. He did. Yeah, he fished the okay. opens. That's when okay. he. That's okay. when he um, lost to Corey. Corey won that open and beat him on the last day if you remember that was the oh, year at, at previous. Saint but yeah at, no i mean clayton yeah and i and i expect coop to be around for quite some i mean coop nobody's surprised in canada that coop was the next one i mean i i, I think you 
you'd get some argument from people who will be next now because there's a lot of people that you you know could be next but i don't think anyone was arguing that coop was the next one coop is an incredibly talented angler um that was a weird one for me too to have him on stage because he was one <laughs> of the guys that like i like gave got him passes to the splash flow years ago and i remember like leaving the stage after weighing and put my arm around him and being like dude you keep working you'll be here and i mean he was a little kid at the time so to actually see him on the classic stage was was pretty emotional and pretty awesome but i i i think that it's going to be like that way for quite some time i mean all four of the canadians fishing elite series are incredible anglers and and you want to talk about motivation i mean uh, i bet you that motivated them even more so you know what i mean not that they needed any motivation but um yeah it's gonna be gonna be wild the movement the movement will be much bigger and faster than like let's say what happened uh with the japanese anglers because there's so much space between the united states and japan just geographically and Canada's, you know, basically a funnel into the United States, particularly right down from Lake Ontario, all the way down through all these states, you know, through Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, all the way to Florida and Alabama. It's just a, it's just a main vein into the United States Mecca of bass fishing. And I think, I think, like you said, it's going to grow and it's going to grow much faster and quicker than than what happened with the Japanese culture into the professional bass fishing world. Yeah. I I love it. I love it. I I love it. And I also just think it's, it's easier now in some ways, like it's more, I mean, it's easier than coming from Japan. That's for sure. I mean, you're literally, yeah, yeah, you're not speaking a different language or anything like that, but it's just like the map is fairly simple. And when you see, if you, once you get there, anything is possible you know what i mean and i think that that's one of the weird things that happened in the switch you know like i think people would come and they'd be like well yeah but i'm not kevin or i'm not so and so well now they're like well why not me you know what i mean like if somebody is down to earth as jeff gustafson can be the bassmaster classic it makes a lot of people feel like they can be the bassmaster classic champion themselves so um, how about how about back to back Bassmaster Classics getting one in aluminum boats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what you know, that's probably a fairly shallow topic, pun intended. But, you know, at the same time, it's kind of like, huh, you know, you don't. I, I don't know what it proves, but it proves something. <laughs> you don't have to be in a glass boat to win a Bassmaster Classic and be on top of the bass fishing world forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your percentage of chances of winning in aluminum is the exact percentage of the number of <laughs> people that are competing in aluminum. I mean, there was a lot of classes where nobody was ever in aluminum, 0% chance for it to happen. Then that's right. We've had a higher percentage chance and, and dude, Gussie's aluminum win is, is, I mean, Gussie is so synonymous with Lund. I mean, from the part of the world that he's from, um, it's pretty amazing. Um, it was it was all oh dude i know what i got to talk about because i did dirt him last year and i didn't even remember dirting him but michael middleton is my producer that's in my ear during uh the bassmaster classic so he tells me love middleton slow down all that sort of stuff well last year i guess we threw him under the bus because of the power pay so this year i have to build him back up 
you probably didn't see it because you're never there at the beginning of a weigh-in. But dude, I got like an intro. He made a freaking wrestler intro of me. It shows me getting arrested and everything. It really is. I mean, <laughs> wow. it means nothing to anybody else, but it meant everything to me. So way to go, Middleton. You nailed the classic because I love that guy. Oh no, great, great. I mean, our whole crew that we work with at Bass is really incredible. Um, and they're all the same. I mean, they just want to make a little impact on this on this week's classic you know what i mean like they want to make impact on the sport i think that 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 what you just said right there goes a long way and what i'd like to say too about the production team everyone from like i mean everyone that sets up the 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 platform to the stage setup the production team the truck howard I mean, everybody involved, all the camera guys, all the the intermediate people that just come and work the classic to help us out so that because we have so much to do, we're so busy and we're so focused on trying to make a great production. Everyone there has the same spirit and everyone there wants to do the best that they can because this is going out. This is literally, you know, being distributed all over the world. People in Australia are staying up in the wee hours of the night in Japan to watch all these things, all, all this stuff. And, you know, for us to be have been on, we were on FS1, we were on regular Fox network, you know, we had our own live stream going and, and this, th this content was going out in millions of different directions. And I just do want to give kudos to the entire Bassmaster plus JM Associates uh, production team for doing what they do and how it all comes together so well and how professional that this little circus that we live in is I, I love I love our Bassmaster family it's freaking awesome it is and you said earlier about like if you've never been to a classic you need to come and it was funny because it seemed to be something that got repeated throughout the week but I've always felt this way the Bassmaster Classic is literally one of the few events that you go to that you've watched on TV and you think is gigantic. And then you go to it and you're like, wait a second, it's way bigger than I ever imagined. I mean, most times TV makes things look bigger. You know what I mean? And you go to it and you're like, yeah, it was, it was as big as I thought. The Classic is the exact opposite. Whether you're competing in it, whether you're just attending it, whether you're working it. The Bassmaster Classic seems one thing growing up watching it, but when you actually go to it and attend it, it is way bigger than that. And literally you leave there being like, I, I don't ever want to not be at one of these, whether exactly. you're a competitor, somebody working or, you know, a fan. I mean, it's, it's that big of an event. It's, uh, it's freaking. And it's, here's the way, remarkable. do you go through that where you're like, I go through a weird thing where I'm like exhausted you know, I hit different waves after the classic. You know what I mean? Like when it's first done, you're just you're, you're on such a high and then you kind of go down a little bit and then you go up and then you go down. But then you're like, oh, we got to wait a whole other year to freaking do that again, which kind of sucks. I mean, yeah. I'd like to do that every week. I guess then it wouldn't be what it is. You know, I, I go through I go through this roller coaster of physical and and emotional it's almost stressful physically because you're you're you don't want to miss anything. I don't. I, yeah. I mean, I go down to the bar just to see who's down at the bar. And then you end up, you know, you end up sitting there talking to 
Bob Cobb or Kevin Van Dam or whoever you're sitting at the bar with, you know, and then other people are walking in and you can see the, you know, the, the fans that are sitting in the bar They're you know, they're going, Hey, there's Dave Mercer. Check it out, man. Or whoever it is walking in and it's just, you don't want to miss anything. So I end up thinking to myself, okay, well, I'm going to get, you know, every night of the classic, I got to go to bed early because mm-hmm. I got to get up earlier than normal because we have to be at the, at the ramp much earlier than normal to check our equipment and be ready to jump in the boat and blah, blah, blah. But then, you, you know, I end up staying up till one 30 in the morning and then I have to get up at four and then, you know, you're fighting this during the day. Cause you want to do the best. It's just to, I mean, go to the Bassmaster classic, <laughs> go. If you don't know what we're talking about, it's cause you haven't been to one, go to the Bassmaster classic. Yeah. And I, I always feel like I always feel like the week after the classic, I apologize to a bunch of people because I just all, <laughs> like I literally feel like I see more people than I'll see at a regular elite event, but it, but you just don't see like even me and you, it's like a high five here and there. Like on Sunday, we stopped and took a picture together at takeoff because we're right. literally just always passing each other. And um, when I first started, and I've told this story before, but when I first started, it was at the classic. That was my first event. And I remember wow. just being a zombie at, afterwards, just sitting there. And Tommy was on one side of me and Zona was on the other. We're just sitting on a couch and craziness is happening. You know what I mean? Like it's the toast for the champion and the whole industry's there. And we're just sitting there and I'm literally like a zombie. And I remember Tommy said to me, you'll like the elite so much better. And I remember thinking, what is he talking about? This is the classic. How could you like anything better than the classic? But he was right. You do like the elite so much better as a experience. Like me and you get to have dinner. Me and you get to hang out on the dock. We have conversations. You know, if, if spectators come, you can spend time with them. But the classic is such a, you're on hyperdrive the whole time. It literally, the next week, I always feel like I have all these names and people flashing through my head where I was like, yeah, I high-fived that person on the way past, but never never really got to spend any time with them. It's just a, it's a free-for-all. But um, thank God for it, man. If 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 it wasn't like that, um, it, we know, wouldn't be, be having this conversation. Yeah. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be what yeah. it is. And it's, yeah. it's just great. <laughs> hey, how about Scott Canterbury? Speaking of awkward things that happened at the Classic. Full on WWE boo from the crowd for Scott Canterbury. He takes the lead at the Bassmaster Classic. It's Sunday. And then before he goes to, I mean, it's an Alabama thing. It has to come out of your mouth. I guess you fight it every chance you do, every chance you get for those words to not come out. But eventually they boil like a kettle. They have to come out. Says a nice little speech. Is about to go load the hot seat. Turns to the mic and goes, roll tide. And in, be, in Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville. In Knoxville. The entire place rained. Like, it's the only time I've ever seen a, a leader go to the seat and just hear boo. Like, the amount of people that was booing was shocking and yet exciting at the same time for me. Because I was like, wow, I, I love that this that people are getting that passionate about it. But you probably shouldn't say Roll Tide there. It doesn't go over well. That would be like singing Rocky Top in Tuscaloosa. Go Vols. I mean, the rival, you know, that is a, that is an ancient rivalry. It's always the third October or third Saturday in October. And it's the most beautiful time in Tennessee or the most beautiful time in Alabama. And that goes back into 
I mean, the 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 annals of of college football rivalry in the Southeastern Conference, and when that's a word even, I avoid. I know, I know, but <laughs> it it's, spelled, right. it's spelled differently. It's okay. spelled differently than right. the, the one you're talking about. <laughs> so what, where is it in college? What, what is it again? It's in the, the what? I call it the annals. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so immature. In, in in the in the in the uh, archives of <laughs> of college football history, whether they're good or bad, you really don't know for sure who's going to win the game on the third. And and a lot of people don't understand how big that rivalry is between Alabama. I mean, it, if you go back and watch Forrest Gump, when Forrest Gump was playing football for Bear Bryant, it was against Tennessee. You yeah. watch, if you watch it, it was against Tennessee. So, you know, that rivalry means a lot, and that's where those boos were coming from. And, you know, I'm sure the the, the, the boos – Thank goodness it was booze and not FUs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of FUs, I got to address it because I know I keep getting messages about it. I don't know who our DJ was for the day one way in, but they wouldn't tell me who it was. Let's just put it that way because it was really. I didn't even get to go to the first uh, day one way in. Yeah, you didn't miss much. It was really a lot of badly timed music. Really, it was shocking. Um, it wasn't our guy. It was, but it got fixed by day two, so it was wonderful. Um, like what? What kind of music was it? Well, no, it was the right music. It was just the wrong time. Time means everything. Like to tell you, it doesn't matter whether it's real estate or uh, trying to kiss a girl or when or playing music in the Bassmaster Classic. Timing is everything. And uh, so there'll be, you, you know, it's pretty standard. So-and-so comes out and their song blares and, you know, and then it kind of dips down. I yell the weight and generally they'll pick up some fish and hold them up again. And the music will come back up. Well, we would have times where like somebody come in and there'd be no music. <laughs> and then I'd go to say their weight and then the music would come on. And it would scare the oh, crap out no. of everybody. So I tried to ignore it for the longest time. Um, but then it was unignorable. Um, oh, no, but it got I fixed. did not. I, this it is the first fixed. time I've heard of all that. <laughs> uh, I guess people could see my anger on stage because they're like, what did you do to that DJ? And I'm like, <laughs> they wouldn't tell me who the DJ was. I asked who was playing the music and they said, um, it'll be better tomorrow. <laughs> so they told me, um, but it was, but that's also the fun of a, a live event. You know what I mean? Like it, it you're always um you're always on the edge of disaster you know what i mean that's that's why it's fun like afterwards when you get through it you're like well that we made it type thing because there's always going to be little weird things like that happen but all in all i think it was a freaking awesome bassmaster classic um i don't know how to get much better i i'd like the fishing to be a bit better i get that but I think that's so uncontrollable. What are your thoughts? I, I think I think Knoxville is is just a classic place to have the classic. Yeah, it's it, everything's right there. So many people were talking about. I mean, I got uh, Jolip Lures, the guy from uh, Australia. Aussie, yeah, yeah, Aussie. He was texting me uh, this morning. And telling me how much fun he had. He's back in Australia. It's almost like a downer because they're back and they wanted to be in Knoxville, how great the people were, how pro you know, close proximity everything was and how convenient 
Knoxville and and festive and 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 spirited Knoxville is when something like this happens. And I do hear people say, "I wish the fishing was better." And while I agree with that, it's almost kind of like for the Bassmaster Classic, it's almost better that it is challenging, right? That it is that that kind of fishery to where you know people really do have to go to the grinding stone um to, to get a win and i would i wouldn't hesitate to say that if we had a tournament there t- starting tomorrow again that there would be more anglers on gussie's spot <laughs> 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 he's won his money there now it's time to move on <laughs> <laughs> um, think about that he's won four hundred thousand dollars in 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 less than three years on the Tennessee river in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. It's <laughs> crazy with one rod, one rod, one reel <laughs> one, one and one, one bait. Um, it's wild. It's incredible. And that dude, that's kind of how the night went on. Like the amount of times that, um, I got to hang out with Gussie's friends and family a little bit the night before. And I've met a lot of them in previous things. And, um, it was just weird. Like we just like after he won, you'd just be like across a room and I'd be looking at whoever his buddy, Brian, you know, his, his mom, his dad. Um, and you just, we just start laughing. You wouldn't even say anything. You just get to and be like, how has this happened? Like, how did this happen? But that's, that's what bass fishing is. And Gussie's parents are like the nicest. I mean, I want his mom to be my mom. Like it really dude. Like there's so the night before, she we're hanging out with them they're having pizza so the night before she's talking to me and she grabs my hand and this seems so weird from anybody like if anybody else but she's holding my hand she's like you're so nice to jeffrey you're so nice to jeffrey she starts like rubbing rubbing my finger and i swear to you like if anybody else does that it sounds super weird but with gussie's mom i was just like uh I feel sniffly. Make me some milk and cookies. I don't know. It just made you feel like a little kid all of a sudden. Uh, Gussie's mom is so Gussie. Um, it's so hanging out with his parents, seeing that all go down was pretty fu- friggin'. I, I was going to say friggin' Ooh. there. I was swear to you, it was supposed to be friggin', but it started okay. to sound like the other sure, word. Sure. I would never use it. That's sure. speaking of that, actually, here. So in Australia, we should get on this topic real quick. In Australia, you know there's a word that they use on the regular that is not a word you ever hear in North America. It rhymes with hunt. Um, uh, you can take yeah. it from there. So, yes. like, it became a thing that night that people were just joking and they were just saying the hunt word over and over again. You know, you're a good hunt. You're a bad hunt. You're a right. a shit hunt. <laughs> so many different ways to say it. Yeah. Um. So I got to apologize to all the people in the hotel lobby because there was, I mean, more women saying that word than I've ever <laughs> seen. Like, and, and it was funny because at one point, uh, was it Gus here? One of the Australians said it in front of Sarah and they, and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. They tried to explain it. And, and, my, and Sarah turns around one of the moments that makes me love her so much turns around and says, don't worry. I'm not a shit hunt. <laughs> <laughs> And they loved it. They loved it. So yeah, it, it's just a word. It's four letters uh, put in a certain way. So I almost swore on this show, and then I turned this into a whole show about swearing at the very end here. But um, hey, the uh, the rawness of 
Australians of Aussies oh. is just great. Like I love, I love going to Australia. I love hanging out with Australian friends. I love that Carl Jockinson is in the elite series. I love that he's got a huge following because Australians, particularly in our culture, are really, really fun people to hang out with. Yeah, they're they're, they're great cool. people. They really they are. are great. I, I think it's because they were all criminals at one time. <laughs> they're making. Yeah. I mean, everybody <laughs> in Australia. That's. I mean, they weren't criminals, but their grandparents stole yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, their their origins. Their origin. They're uh. They're products. Uh, byproducts of a penal farm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another word I avoid. Yeah. <laughs> What a couple of idiots. Why does anyone listen to us? They're going to hate us after this show. (laughs) That's something that I was blown away by, dude. And I don't know that if you got an opportunity to see much of it, but dude, the amount of people that came up and mentioned the podcast, like everywhere I'd go was shocking. Like, I mean, dude, I get to do a lot of cool things in my life. I get to, you know, host a show. I get to, work with fast, but the amount of people that would specifically come up and be like, we really enjoy the podcast or I'm a proud humper. I mean, it was just blew me away. And, and the only reason I'm bringing it up again is because I can't thank all of those amazing people enough because as if we didn't have, I don't think either of us needed motivation to continue doing it, but man, if you ever did just go to the Bassmaster classic and, and you'll never, want to stop doing them yeah i would say the same thing about about the fans of this show and the people that were taking selfies and going hey jake i thought you were tall you look taller on the podcast than you really are (laughs) (laughs) you look taller on the podcast (laughs) i thought you were taller than that (laughs) but but you know the amount of people that did uh mention something or want to take selfies all because of this podcast thank you for making a guy or two guys feel really great and obviously this is your show i'm just a little piece of it and i'm i'm always honored to be here but it it does make you feel really good when people come up and really uh, you know show respect and gratitude towards the show because of of what you do and what goes on here so Thanks to all those fans. That was really cool. Really nice of you to do that. Yeah, it was super cool. And um, it, uh, I mean, you're as big a part of this show as I am, dude. I mean, you make the exact same amount of money from it as I do. Fitty, <laughs> <laughs> fitty split. <laughs> the thing that, the thing that always reminds me of is Jesus Christ, I'm just a camera guy. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, and that's the humbling part of this and the, the, the gratitude that, you know, I feel from those people that do uh, mention it is that I'm just a camera guy and I really appreciate it. It makes me I, feel great. I don't think you're just a camera guy. I think you're more than that. But but ultimately, I do think at the end of the we, day, I'm just a camera guy. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, I mean, if the world goes to Walking Dead, we're both screwed. Let's be honest. I mean, no. Hey, what are you guys going to do? Well, if you do something special, I'll I'll announce it really good and, <laughs> well, and Jake got... can make a video of it. <laughs> if the world goes to shit, I'll film it and you can announce it. <laughs> yes, because that's what they need. We need some announcers here. Uh, all of a sudden, our other abilities would be what we talk about. I'm a good angler. I'll catch you some fish or 
I'm a good hunter. I'll shoot you some <laughs> stuff. Um, but luckily it isn't walking dead. And thankfully people listen to this stuff and, uh, I thank everybody that tuned in here this week and, uh, we're right back at it in a couple weeks on, uh, Murray, Lake, um, Murray, right. Lake, That's our yep, first Lake one. Lake Murray, Murray and Murray and then Santee Cooper back to back. I saw Ed Drew Fishing? Cook. I, I saw, I saw Drew Cook posting today about guess what the fish are going to be doing. And when we get to South Carolina, they're going to be on beds. <laughs> oh boy. Do you think he, like, see, I always, maybe I'm just more corrupt as a person than you. You're more genuine. Whenever I read something like that, I'm like, why is he posting that? Why does, does he want everyone to be bed fishing? Is that what, or maybe he's just excited. He's going bed fishing. Maybe it's totally legit. I mean, I think, I think that he's totally legitimately pumped that he feels really good about these tournaments coming up because they're going to be bed fishing. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be fun. That's they'll his wheelhouse. He's very observant, but not observant on this show. Just so you know, most people don't know this, but there has been a, he stuck this on my car at one point, um, his card. And I put his card <laughs> back there for like a year. I've been waiting for him to say to me, Hey, my card's back there, but he doesn't notice. He doesn't notice. So your card's back here and uh, way to hopefully go, Drew. Yeah. Way to go Drew. You're on every single Mercer podcast. Exactly. Now. Every one of them. Giant, giant, <laughs> um, huge plug. Yeah. Big plugs. That huge too. Plug. <laughs> all right i think that's it um i thank you all for watching and uh as always jake tell bob cobb to take it away bob cobb take it away <laughs> we're idiots uh, we are idiots <laughs> thanks for watching please like comment and subscribe because bob cobb of the bass masters told you to you hear